May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Rather famously, public speaking makes people very nervous. I can remember hearing a Jerry Seinfeld bit recently about reading a newspaper article listing common fears from a survey. Public speaking was number one. Number two was death. That means if you're at a funeral, you would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. Now that is not a fear that Paul had. Throughout the New Testament, whenever an opening presents himself, Paul is ready to give an account of his life and his faith to make sure that everyone within the sound of his voice knows exactly what he believes. And what he believes, of course, is that death is not the last word, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we will be raised too, and that even in death, we have great hope. So in front of audiences of all kinds, Paul would stand up and give his testimony with just a little bit of warning. It's a really admirable quality. Paul knows himself and what he's about, and he's ready to tell others. But this morning, we find him in a very difficult circumstance in front of a more important audience than he has ever spoken to before, testifying to his innocence before King Agrippa. So Paul has been arrested by the Romans as a disturber of the peace. And if I were a little bit more like Paul, I would just assume that you know this story, but I'll remind you just in case. So he's been brought before King Agrippa by the Roman governor Festus. We don't meet many Festuses anymore. What a good name that is. But Festus brings Paul to Agrippa because Paul is, crucially, a Roman citizen. And that means he has rights. And Paul has appealed to Festus to send him to Caesar to hear his case and hopefully declare him innocent with the hope that by invoking the authority of Caesar, Paul will be able to preserve his own life until he makes it to Rome and can be heard by the emperor. Now, this appeal, of course, is a source of confusion for the provincial government around Jerusalem Because while Paul is accused of holding controversial theological views about the resurrection of the dead, he's committed no actual crime that the Romans can find to charge him with. Festus is either not curious about the details of the matter or does not understand the argument or perhaps a little bit of both. So he asks the Jewish king to help him untangle this knot before he sends Paul away to Rome with a letter of explanation for the emperor. This is why the Romans bothered to prop up a Jewish king in the first place, to shield them from having to solve these kind of confusing religious issues. But if you're Festus, this is the kind of matter about which you are rightly a little nervous. You are part of an imperial government that looked very lowly on those who were not good at their jobs. So if you send someone to the emperor 
you want to make sure it's clear that you've done everything you can to solve this problem first, lest the emperor come to believe that you are incompetent and unable to handle the troublesome region you're meant to oversee and have you removed from your position. And so the apostle is given a chance to explain himself. But every time Paul gets a chance to tell his story, what he ends up doing is coming back to the story of the gospel. He never just gives the plain facts of the case. If he has a captive audience, Paul wants to talk about Jesus. He starts to talk about his life before he met Christ on the Damascus Road and the difference that has come from that encounter. Before he won any converts, before he planted any churches, before he stood before these civil authorities, Paul had an experience that opened his own eyes, and his darkness was enlightened by the powerful presence and word of Jesus Christ. And from that point onward, he sought to be faithful to what he had heard. He told that story in every setting that he could find, scattering the seed of the gospel far and wide. It is one of the most incredible transformations we have in Scripture. Paul had been an agent of death, seeking to destroy the church by whatever means, false if necessary, pursuing believers wherever they could be found, and by the surprising transformative power of Jesus, now found himself standing before governors and kings to testify to the church's mission, the same church that he tried to smother in its infancy. In some way or another, we all need to have this kind of Damascus Road moment in our lives. We may not be outright enemies of Christ, persecutors of his followers, But we all need to be yanked out of the darkness of our own hearts and hear Jesus' words spoken directly to us. None of us is flawless. None of us is perfect. None of us is sinless. And so we are all called to repent and submit to the Lord as Paul did. Now that conversion moment may happen for you just once. It may happen over and over again. As I am fond of saying, there's a reason we have an altar call every Sunday, and we all come forward to receive Jesus. Because faithfulness to Christ requires hearing his words and turning ourselves over to him over and over and over again as many times as it takes. It's because of hearing and responding to this call that Paul is given the chance to tell his story, to share the gospel, because he has been forgiven and now commissioned for this task that he alone can fulfill. This chance may never come again. And while his words may not turn the heart of the king, he's going to give it the best shot that he can. We know Paul's story so well that the Damascus Road has sort of entered our pop culture references as a standard trope. But we should not take this momentous forgiveness for granted. As those who have sinned and will sin again, we must remember that God's forgiveness is not something we can pass over lightly. Because this forgiveness means friendship with Jesus Christ, sharing his life and faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us, it means big changes, 
as we turn away from our selfishness and sin and submit to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. This is the thing that Christ is always bringing us back to, that we are called to share life with God and with one another, and that living a life united with God's purpose is a good thing for us. This is the great urgent truth that Paul feels compelled to share, that God has promised to be with us and for us and made a way for us to be with God. Forgiveness changes lives. It changed Paul's and it can change ours. But in order to become friends of God, we have to accept that that forgiveness is intended for us as well as for others. And that's the good news, that we can be forgiven because others can be forgiven too. As Paul says, the resurrection of Jesus and the proclamation of that resurrection are light for all people. Like a blazing bonfire in a dark night, these truths shine so that all people who desire to know God can be saved. They don't have to stumble around in the dark forever. And Paul lights that fire in the presence of Agrippa because Agrippa is uniquely positioned to hear and respond to it because of his own personal history. Agrippa, of course, is Jewish. So when Festus objects to Paul's description of the resurrection, thinking that Paul sounds like a ranting and raving madman, Paul turns from the Roman governor to the Jewish king. This is not an accident. Paul knows his audience and realizes that Agrippa may offer a more sympathetic ear to his cause. It's also just good argumentation. The king knows about these things, and I to him speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. I'm going to start doing that more often in sermons. You know this story. I trust your wisdom. Paul reaches out to the king with his words because although Agrippa has sold out completely to serve the Romans, he must know the history of his people. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. When he asks the king about the prophets, Paul is making a move that places Agrippa under the authority of the word of God just as the Old Testament prophets did with the fallen kings of Israel. What is at stake in their conversation now becomes clear. The one who reigns over both of them is now present in the room, and he cannot be easily avoided. The king might be embarrassed to admit it in front of his Roman patrons, but he and Paul have something in common. Paul speaks boldly to the king because of what they share. He forces him to acknowledge that they are both Jews. They share the story of Israel, that long history of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam and David and Samuel and all the other ancestors that cannot just be erased. This is a bond that goes deeper than a national identity or just a religious history. It is the bond of those who have been called together to be the people of God. And Agrippa knows this history, but somehow he has taught himself to forget it. 
And Paul seeks to remind him that it is possible to believe and to be forgiven and to come home again. It's one of the most powerful themes that we have in art and literature and film. The return of the one who has done wrong, but in the end wants to be right and is willing to sacrifice to make it possible. It's the story of the prodigal son recast. It's the story of Boromir in The Lord of the Rings. Paul is the faithful Israelite following God's call, and he holds out the possibility that Agrippa could be the same if only he was willing. Agrippa has been unfaithful. Agrippa is a long way from where he could be. But Paul knows there is still time. And as it is for him, so it is for us. There is always still time to repent of whatever wrong we have done, whatever harm we have caused. It is always, almost always still possible to fix things. They may not be repaired completely, but there is always hope that something can be done to make it right, to get ourselves and our souls back into their proper alignment. It may seem to us like Paul is trying to convert Agrippa to save his own life, but if we read the scripture closely, it seems instead that Paul genuinely wants the king to know Jesus Christ because he has compassion for him and the ways in which he is trapped by his own wrong choices. So these two, like the prophets and the kings of ancient Israel, face one another. They are standing at a distance that can be bridged, but only if the king is willing to humble himself. But he refuses. In the King James Version, it says, Paul said unto Agrippa, I knowest that thou believe. And Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Agrippa is the judge, and Paul is the judged. And that relationship will not be altered, no matter how compelling a story Paul has to share. Agrippa is too far gone for Paul to reach. But in our lives, there is still time. There can still be restoration made possible by the love of Jesus Christ that is offered to us and all those who need it. We don't have to hold on to our old hurts or our old frustrations or our old fears. We can let them go, and when they go, we can be released. We don't have to let those wrong choices weigh us down like rocks in our pockets. We can drop our burdens and choose to go where Christ is calling. Here, at the end of our summer preaching series, the thesis of which has been that God is sending us out into the world, as partners in the divine mission of reaching everyone with the truth of the gospel, I want you to hear that that truth is for us and for our children and for our families, that we can be relieved of the burden of our mistakes by the grace of Jesus Christ. I have been hammering away at this concept from as many angles as I can find because I think we need to get it into our collective DNA that we believe on a deep level that the mission of God to redeem all people and all things is not just an afterthought, but is the first thing that we think about 
as we move forward together in our life as a church. And it is for us who are here today and for those who are not. We are sent out on a mission with God and we are shown the same compassion The same compassion that God shows to Paul and to Agrippa is extended to us as well as to the whole world. The tragedy of Agrippa's refusal to hear Paul when he gets up and walks out of that room and breaks that spell that Paul has over him. The tragedy is that Agrippa could have found peace and forgiveness that eluded him if only he was willing to humble himself and admit it, but he was not. So as we, who are called to be the church, are seeking to live our lives more fully into our identity in Christ, we have to do the same thing that Paul did. We have to learn to tell that great big story of God's salvation gospel in the light of our personal stories of what God has done and is still doing in and through our lives. We have to be able to talk about transformation and forgiveness in a way that takes that massive, cosmic, world-shaping history of God's love for his people down to a single serving that matters to you and to me. But if you feel trapped by your mistakes or your guilt or your sin, you have to give that up first. You don't have to drag that anchor around behind you forever. There is still time. Right now, there is still time to know the love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers and live your life free of those burdens. Because the church, despite all appearances, is not a gathering of the sinless, but a hospital for sinners. And there is always a place for those who hear the gospel and believe and want to turn their lives around. And God's grace is good enough that Agrippa and Paul and all those who believe that they have gone too far from home to ever come back do not have to despair. There is hope yet. The clock has not run out. Time remains. And the invitation is still waiting for you if you are willing to accept and join the people of God on our journey. Because the church is a pilgrim people. We are always on the move with Christ. And if we're seeking to follow the Lord, we will find that being his disciple is a propulsive thing. Like music, there is a beat and a rhythm to life lived with God and pushes us forward no matter how hard we might try to dig our heels in. And that's a good thing. Because being on that kind of forward-moving mission keeps us from ever getting so comfortable that like King Agrippa, we think we have forgotten the story so well that we can ignore the compassionate word of God spoken to us by loved ones or friends or even strangers. We have to keep listening for the voice of God and we have to keep following where he leads us because we have been sent out to follow him and to call others to join us. Amen.